Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 23 of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Nothing befalls you, good or evil, but there is a providence of the infinite, eternal, first being in that thing, and therein is God's infiniteness, that it reaches to the least things, to the least worm that is under your feet. Then much more does it reach to you, who are a rational creature. The providence of God is more special towards rational creatures than any others. Now, to understand in a spiritual way the universality of providence in every particular happening, from morning to night, every day, that there is nothing that befalls you, but there is a hand of God in it. This is from God, and it is a great help to contentment. Every man will grant the truth of the thing, that it is so. But as the Apostle says in Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the worlds were made. By faith we understand it. Why by faith? We can understand by reason that no finite thing can be from itself, and therefore that the world could not be of itself. But we understand it by faith in another way than by reason. So whatever we understand of God in providence, yet when Christ takes us into his school, we come to understand it by faith in a better manner than we do by reason. Number two, the efficacy that is in providence, that is, that the providence of God goes on in all things with strength and power and will not to be altered by our power. Suppose we are discontented and vexed and troubled and we fret and rage, yet we need not think we will alter the course of providence by our discontent. Some of Job's friends, when they saw that he was impatient, said to him, Shall the earth be forsaken for thee? And shall the rock be removed out of his place? Job 18.4 So I may say to every discontented, impatient heart, What? Shall the providence of God change its course for you? Do you think it is such a weak thing that because it does not please you, it must alter its course? Whether or not you are content, the providence of God will go on. It has an efficacy of power, of virtue, to carry all things before it. Can you make one hair black or white with all the stir that you are making? When you are in a ship at sea, which has all its sails spread with a full gale of wind and is swiftly sailing, can you make it stand still by running up and down in the ship? No more can you make the providence of God alter and change its course with your vexing and fretting. It will go on with power. Do what you can. Do but understand the power and efficacy of providence and it will be a mighty means helping you to learn this lesson of contentment.
Number three, the infinite variety of the works of providence and yet the order of things, one working towards another. There is an infinite variety of the works of God in an ordinary providence, and yet they all work in an orderly way. We put these two things together. For God, in his providence, causes a thousand thousand things to depend one upon another. There are an infinite number of wheels, as I may say, in the works of providence, put together all the works that ever God did from all eternity or ever will do. And they all make up but one work, and they have been as several wheels that have had their orderly motion to attain the end that God, from all eternity, has appointed. We indeed look at these things by pieces. We look at one detail and do not consider the relation that one thing has to another. But God looks at all things at once and sees the relation that one thing has to another. When a child looks at a clock, it looks first at one wheel and then at another wheel. He does not look at them all together or the dependence that one has upon another. But the workman has his eyes on them all together and sees the dependence of all, one upon another. So it is in God's providence. Now notice how this works to contentment. When a certain passage of providence befalls me, that is one wheel, and it may be that if this wheel were stopped, a thousand other things might come to be stopped by this. In a clock, stop, but one wheel, and you stop every wheel because they are dependent upon one another. So, when God has ordered a thing for the present to be thus and thus, how do you know how many things depend upon this thing? God may have some work to do 20 years hence that depends on the passage of providence that falls out this day or this week. And here, by the way, we may see what a great deal of evil there is in discontent, for you would have God's providence altered in such and such a detail. Now, if it were only in that detail and that had relation to nothing else, it would not be so much. But by your desire to have your will in such a detail, you may cross God in a thousand things that he has to bring about. Because it is possible that a thousand things may depend upon that one thing that you would fain have otherwise than it is. It is just as if a child should cry out and say, let that one wheel stop, though he says only one wheel. Yet if that were to stop, it is as much as if he should say, they must all stop. So in providence, let but this one passage of providence stop, it is as much as if a thousand stopped. Let me therefore be quiet and content, for though I am crossed in some one particular thing, God attains his end, at least his end may be furthered, in a thousand things by this one thing that I am crossed in. 
Therefore, let a man consider this is an act of providence. And how do I know what God is about to do and how many things depend upon this providence? Now we are willing to be crossed in one thing so that our friend may attain to what he desires in a thousand things. If you have a love and friendship to God, be willing to be crossed in a few things that the Lord may have his work go on in general in a thousand other things. Now that is the third thing to be understood in God's providence, which Christ teaches those whom he instructs in the art of contentment. Number four, God teaches them the knowledge of providence, that is, the knowledge of God's usual way in his dealings with his people more particularly. The other is the knowledge of God in his providence in general. But the right understanding of the way of God in his providence towards his people and saints is a notable lesson to help us in the art of contentment. If we once get to know a man's way and course, we may better suit and be content to live with him than before we got to know his way and course. When we come to live in a society with men and women, the men and women may be good, but till we come to know their way and course and disposition, many things may cross us, and we think they are very hard. But when we come to be acquainted with their way and spirits, then we can suit and cotton with them very well. The reason of our trouble is because we do not understand their way. So it is with you, those who are but as strangers to God and do not understand the way of God are troubled with the providences of God. And they think them very strange and cannot tell what to make of them because they do not understand the ordinary course and way of God towards his people. Sometimes if a stranger comes into a family and sees certain things done, he wonders What is the matter? But those who are acquainted with it are not at all troubled by it. When servants first come together and do not know one another, they may be forward and discontented. But when they get to be acquainted with one another's ways, then they are more contented. Just so it is when we first come to understand God's ways. But you will say, What do you understand by God's ways? By that, I mean three things, and when we get to know them, we shall not wonder so much at the providence of God, but be quiet and contented with them. Small numeral one. God's ordinary course is that his people in this world should be in an afflicted condition. God has revealed in his word, and we may there find he has set it down as his ordinary way, even from the beginning of the world to this day, but more especially in the times of the gospel, that his people here should be in an afflicted condition. Now, men who do not understand this stand and wonder to hear that the people of God are afflicted 
and their enemies prosper in their way. When those who seek God in his way and seek for reformation are afflicted, wounded, and spoiled, and their enemies prevail, they wonder at it. But one who is in the school of Christ is taught by Jesus Christ that God, by his eternal counsels, has set this as his course and way to bring up his people in this world in an afflicted condition. Therefore, the apostle says, Account it not strange concerning the fiery trial. 1 Peter 4.12 We are not, therefore, to be discontented with it, seeing God has set such a course and way. And we know it is the will of God that it should be so. Small, Roman numeral 2, Usually, when God intends the greatest mercy to any of his people, he brings them into the lowest condition. God seems to go quite across and work in a contrary way. When he intends the greatest mercy to his people, he first, usually, brings them into a very low condition. If it is a bodily mercy, an outward mercy that he tends to bestow, he brings them physically low and outwardly low. If it is a mercy in their possessions that he intends to bestow, He brings them low in that and then raises them. And in their reputations, he brings them low there and then raises them. And in their spirits, God ordinarily brings their spirits low and then raises their spirits. Usually, the people of God, before the greatest comforts, have the greatest afflictions and sorrows. Now, those who do not understand God's ways... think that when God brings his people into sad condition, he is leaving and forsaking them, and that God does not intend any great good to them. But a child of God, who is instructed in this way of God, is not troubled. My condition is very low, he says, but this is God's way when he intends the greatest mercy to bring men under the greatest afflictions. When he intended to raise Joseph to be second in the kingdom, God cast him into a dungeon a little before. So when God intended to raise David and set him upon the throne, he made him to be hunted as a partridge in the mountains. 1 Samuel 26.20 God dealt this way with his son. Christ himself went into glory by suffering. Hebrews 2.10 And if God so deals with his own son, much more with his people. A little before daybreak, you will observe, it is darker than it was any time before. So God will make our conditions a little darker before the mercy comes. When God bestowed the last great mercy at Nazeby, Note there, in 1645, the parliamentary army won a decisive victory against the royals at Nazeby, Northamptonshire. And the sermons that, which comprise this book were preached by Burroughs in the same year. Well, when God bestowed this last great mercy, we were in a very low condition. 
God knew what he had to do beforehand. He knew that his time was coming for great mercies. It is the way of God to do so. Be but instructed aright in this course and way that God is accustomed to walk in, and that will greatly help us to contentment. This concludes episode 23 of Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. <laughs>